0: Welcome to episode 14 of Cyberbytes, the podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Cooper, co-founder of Asperon Search. This week's guest, we have the CEO and co-founder of Dragos, Rob Lee. Having helped Dragos grow significantly over the last 18 months across the US, Europe and the Middle East, I had the chance to sit down with Rob and discuss all things Dragos. Let's dive straight in. First things first, man. How are you?
1: Yeah, doing very well. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing?
0: No, really well. Thank you. Really well. I'm guessing you're in Maryland at the moment.
1: Yep, absolutely. home office. Just trying to keep down the fort. Yeah.
0: Nice, nice. So I was over in Hanover in November. So I came in to the Dragos office and uh, yeah. enjoyed the uh brew or the beer in <laughs> yeah. brewery. I think I had the pipe yeah, for, for
1: for science and analytics purposes, right? Yeah. So for the audience, we have uh yeah, we have a brewery because uh, a lot of our folks work on industrial control systems, which for the wide audience here is kind of uh, specialized, uh, computing systems that operate in kind of physical environments. So water filtration, gas generation, uh, electricity generation, pharmaceutical, basically everything, um, out there, anything that interacts with physics, you're going to be dealing with those control systems. We have a bunch of them. We, we, um, uh, our, our engineers and our folks created a brewery. And so we have wonderful beer, like uh, TCP IPA, uh, pipe dream sickle uh logger 4j yeah it's just uh it's just a fun thing to keep that
0: thinking. was it the logger yeah. 4j i think yeah. i had and i think i had two and uh lucky i was getting a cab home because <laughs> they were uh, pretty strong so um look rob um most of the guests listening to this will uh know who you are um but just really keen to just run through a quick background of how you first got into security and how you've got to your position of now ceo of dragos
1: yeah um so i started out in the air force uh, and my background just was really African studies. Like I'm not a techie um, by trade. I always loved computers and things like that, but in, in university it was African studies and, and social sciences. Uh, and I like saying that to people, because anybody can take any path to get into cybersecurity. The idea that it has to be any one thing is, is always been pretty ridiculous. Uh, and yeah, I, I joined an organization called engineers that Borders as I was doing all that, uh, and did some humanitarian trips, to, like to places like, uh, Cameroon, and building control systems. So building wind filtration, uh, or excuse, wind, wind generation, um, water filtration units, things like that, seeing the power of a, a simple, tiny wind turbine powering a car battery, so that a mom could have LEDs at night, so her kid could study, you know, like, it was just beautiful. Mm. Uh, and so when I found out that people were targeting those things, like, you know, uh, adversaries, state actors, criminals, whatever, trying to disrupt civilian infrastructure, you know, it just I mean, come on! Like, if you want to take my credit card or like spy on personal details in the military, like go for it. But targeting civilian infrastructure, like you're a jerk. Um, and so I really got and got inspired by that. Um, joined uh, when I when I graduated, uh, joined uh, as an officer doing cyber warfare operations, is what they called it, which is a big term for the cybersecurity. Uh, and then almost immediately went over to the National Security Agency. Uh, built out the mission for the U.S. government looking at state actors breaking into these industrial control systems or sometimes we call them operation technology or OT mm-hmm. kind of environments. And uh, from there, it was just a career of being able to track the bad guys and stop them from hurting people, which was really cool. And when I got out, uh, I had no desire to build a company. I've just always been teaching over at the Sands Institute yep. and, and making classes over there. Um, but after the Ukraine 2015 attack, which is the first time a cyber attack took down electric power anywhere in the world, I got called up to investigate the attack. And afterwards, I came back to my now co founders and said, guys, like, none of nothing that I see on the market, none of the focus that people are putting on enterprise IT is impacting this operations technology stuff. Like, we got to do something different. So in 2016, we founded Dragos, which was um, really focused on being a tech company to go provide a technology to help people identify and understand what's in their environment but also have really smart folks and services folks and, and intelligence professionals to help educate and, and transfer knowledge to people in the community about what OT is and why it's so important. And then lastly, um, yeah, in terms of how did I become the CEO? It's cause my, <laughs> my uh, two co-founders, one was like, Oh yeah, I'm amazing on the data analysis and stuff. I'll be the data scientist. I'm like, cool. The other one was like, yeah, I'm like a great developer and stuff. I'll be the chief technology officer. And the two of them are like really making the product at first. And I'm like, well, I, you know, I'm, I think I'm pretty smart. I can code and do all sorts of things now. And I was like, but, you know, what else is there? And they're like, I don't know. You just run the company. I'm like, all right, sure, fine. So I, I uh, basically was not skilled enough to do anything else when we started. Yeah. And, uh, so that's how I became CEO. Nice.
0: Where, where did you start out? Of? Was it literally like a basement or is it like a back room?
1: Uh, it was, I mean, at our home. So I, yeah. I had left the military um, by that point. And uh, yeah, we, and John and Justin left uh, the NSA and so while teaching, I was just at my house, you know, doing the work and they, you know, building control system labs and buying stuff on eBay and the things that, that I always um, would do to train myself, anyway. So A lot of this is self taught for me. Yes. Yeah. I talk about being non technical to start with, but I do instant response and development and all that kind of stuff now, but, but wasn't formal education. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was kind of like the basement feel, but it was just at home uh, is where it all started. And then, At the by the end of the year, we took some seed funding to get a little office space and hire the first couple people. And then, as of today, we're over five hundred fifty folks. The company's value company's valued north of one point seven billion. Got hundreds of customers around the world, offices around the world. Like, it's just it's amazing because not only are there a lot of people that join that just really understand and believe in the mission, and so it's Mm -hmm. a very mission driven focus. But the wider community in the industrial control system world, like they're just such beautiful people. I mean, they're they're always striving to take care of their communities. Hey, we live and work in the communities we serve, kind of being the mantra. Uh, And so I think for a large part of the infrastructure community, they've kind of adopted us in going, hey, you're not just some normal security vendor that's just trying to sell a product and leave. You actually understand our mission. You want to be a partner on that mission. We see long-term relationships with you. Let's go. And I don't, I don't think a Dragos in the way that we built it w- would have been able to work in another community. Like if we were just doing uh, AppSec or like Vintech yeah. or whatever else, I just, I just don't think this would have worked.
0: Yeah, nice because safeguarding civilization, the mission, like, that's a bold statement. Like yeah. first of all, who come up with that? Because it's amazing. But yeah,
1: yeah, just in the early days, it just kind of felt right. It's like, what are you doing? And Oh, you know, a lot of these companies have great taglines and stuff, you know. But it, but taglines are meh missions you can align around right and some of these companies have good ones but it was always like CrowdStrike had a good one like stop breaches like that's what they're there for that's cool you know and so like there was all these things and it was like well, what are you doing like oh we're bringing visibility are we doing this and it's like no honestly like there are people out there that are not trying to steal data but they're trying to kill people mm-hmm. and we're trying to keep the the critical part of critical infrastructure and the underpinnings of all of civilization running so yeah we're going to save our civilization and And I think that can come off very arrogant at first when you look at it, like, oh, okay. Um, But what that also means to us is it's not just about the big companies. We're going to make our money, the company's valuation, all that on the larger companies and the people that have money to spend. But civilization is not just the big companies. And, you know, if you want to, you know, I live in Maryland now, but I'm from Alabama. And if you want to go talk to my mom and dad in Alabama, it's Coleman Cooperative Power Company that's delivering their electricity, not Southern Company, no matter how cool and amazing southern company is so to have a solution only for the big players is not safeguarding civilization so it's kind of also a reminder to us of what are we doing to give back how are we making the community better how are we training people how are we providing resources at zero cost for folks that can't afford it like Uh there's a certain aspect to that statement as as almost a reminder of really what we're here for
0: yeah nice so let's go let's talk about hiring straight away because i know Mm -hmm. that dragos you've got an amazing culture, great mission, great values, great people. Obviously, it was just three of you to start with. That journey getting to five fifty now hasn't obviously been easy. There will be hiccups, challenges, hurdles, success, some not so great hires. Um, first things first. Let's talk about the the four tenants because I know you spoke spoke mm-hmm. about them. But can you just let the guys know what, yeah. what they are specifically?
1: Yeah, you're always going to have different cultures form in your company. Not only as people come in, but it should happen. Like the sales team in the East might be a different culture than the sales team in the West or the sales team in Australia. The sales team, I have a different culture than the services team or the engineering team. Those things are okay and should be fostered. But you want to have core components of any of the cultures that form. And the core components for us are four tenants. And I always despised in the military, it was like these like paragraph long, like things about what you value and no one would remember them. Yeah. So was like, look, let's just keep it simple. Four things. Uh, and Ben Miller, our first employee, was was really instrumental, like putting these together. And um it really came down to transparency as number one. Like, hey, we're going down a difficult path. You're asking people to be on board that uh, maybe they feel there's larger, more stable companies. And you're asking customers to like believe in you and buy into you, especially early days. And as you grow, like people always feel disconnected. And so like, what what's one of the really important things? Transparency. Hey, I'll show you my full hand. I'll tell you why we're making decisions. You may you may not agree with every decision I make, but you're a shareholder in this company or a customer that's along the journey. You'll understand why we're making those decisions. And so let's just be fully transparent to the place that I'll brief board discussions and revenue targets and every, everything company-wide. Just your shareholders, whatever you want to know, ask yeah. and it's yours. The second one is candid, um, candidacy. So just be extremely candid. You You can't be a jerk. But <laughs> let's not pull punches. Yeah, you know, sometimes you'll get in a meeting, especially if you're a big company, fifteen people in the room, and everyone leaves the room. going, that was a bad idea, but nobody said anything. And the same idea, you know, when we're dealing with critical infrastructure security, we're dealing with state actors trying to kill people. Cut the crap, like mm-hmm. just just cut through all the the hype, cut through all the crap, cut through all the pleasantries. Oh, that was that was really well stated, but but what I you know I think may. may just say, "Hey, man, I I don't actually think the idea works because of this, or that, and the other." Just get to it. We got things to do, um. So let's just be candid with each other. I always hate when people are like, "Well, if I'm being honest, well, hopefully you're always honest." But just yeah. be candid. Um, and then after that, there's the tenet of respect, because mm-hmm. um, you still need to be respectful in all these situations to everybody, not just um internal to the company, but external. And we demand it from our customers. We fired. Um, two customers over the years who were not being respectful to our employees. And we're like, wow. I don't really care how big and important you are. You're not going to talk to our employees like that. They demand respect. You demand respect. Why don't you go pick someone else? Love that. Um, and then uh, and then the last one would be assume no malicious intent. Because especially in remote, we've always been remote work culture, even before um, the pandemic. And, you know, we knew that just like things come up in miscommunication and people start to think, oh, well, maybe they meant this. Well, maybe they meant well, if they meant that, then maybe they think I'm an idiot and whatever. It's like, dude assume no malicious intent. If mm-hmm. you got a question, go back to the candid, uh, candidate aspect, ask for a transparent answer, and be respectful about what you hear, you know, and so they all kind of work together to just make sure that communication um, works really well, and that we're all aligned on what we're trying to do and very clear about what that is.
0: Yeah, nice. So I think the one for me is that transparency one, because am I right in saying that every month you hold like, ask me anything, literally where anyone can come to you and I tried to think some of the things that people have asked. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. must it's, be. It's, uh,
1: it's funny though, because. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'll, we have a monthly all staff meeting where all the execs briefed all the company about all the things they're working on, what's going on. I brief as well. And then they can kind of ask me and the execs anything they want every month. Anybody can ask anything they want of me or whatever, anytime in Slack. Uh, and then I also do two town halls with every team um, every year. And so, I don't know, 30 or 40 of those across the company. Um, and so there's always this aspect of, you know, I tell people, you don't have to interact with me to be successful at the company or anybody for that matter that's in the exact team. You don't have to if it makes you feel uncomfortable. You don't have to ask me questions. But if you leave Dragos and you're like, oh, yeah, well, they were busy and I couldn't ask or oh, I had questions. And I no, everybody's going to know that that's on you. Um, so, and the other thing I, that I think is interesting is uh, for the newer employees, there's almost like a detox that has to happen from their like last employers. Um, I constantly get people coming up to me being like, this is the best company I've ever worked at. This is amazing here. You know, and I was like, okay, cool. But why? And I dig into it. And I'm like, man, I, I appreciate you like this company, but we're not the best. You just were abused in your last job. <laughs> like, you know, like yeah. you should not have put up with what you put up with. And so the, I always tell people, like, leave your baggage, like, leave your ex ex's baggage with your ex. Okay? Like, <laughs> let's start over. Yeah, because I still get people like, wow, am I allowed to ask you a question? I'm like, why wouldn't you be like, you know, what, what, what are you doing? And so yeah. there's, there's kind of a detox phase. But then once people get into it, yeah, the, the questions are amazing. And they reveal really good insights. And just by the type of questions that get asked, I get a better understanding about what's not being communicated, what's not being clear, the up and down communication and things. So while a lot of people see me out in the community at conferences and at client sites and doing that kind of stuff, or even teaching, most of my time in Dragos is around the culture, the go-to-market, and and uh, kind of uh, saying no to things <laughs> like, like let's go do this. And I'm like, oh, that's a bad idea. Like, You know, like, like, hold on. Well, you know what really works? Zero trust in AI. Is there anything we can put in our product that's zero trust in AI for marketing? Like, no, no, we're not doing yeah. that. Stop. You know, <laughs> that's uh that it's uh yeah it's a fun place to be
0: no quality and I know that from day one since we've worked with you you've always put salaries on your job specs which I know I'm seeing more of now but it yeah. seems like from day one you've always done that even like the equity component like what drove that decision mm-hmm. it's law some in some states now I think New York mm-hmm. has now adopted yeah. it
1: yeah so seven years ago when we started doing some of the things we're doing now and I, I always I always hate when people are like I created that like who cares but I gotta tell you, like, there's some things that we're doing now that I couldn't find a single company doing seven years ago. And now it's moving into law. Now you're moving to other, you know, uh, companies are doing it. Simple example, as a a security analyst, because my time in the NSA was not just in leadership, was doing threat analysis and kind of security operations in a way and instant response. And I would always go want to download some cool companies, you know, Dell came out with something or, you know, McAfee came out with something. And I want to go download the research and like, put in your contact details. I'm like, no, I'm giving you my time to read the report. Yeah, I'm interested in what it is. But like, if I like something, I'll come talk to you, which is what you want. Why do I also have to give the contact details to be harassed 16 times by somebody? I'm like, this is stupid. So at Dragos, there was a lot of the the original stuff was a lot of like things I thought were annoying. And as an analyst, and I just asked, is there a reason we're doing this? And if the reason ultimately was anecdotal, there was nothing to prove or disprove that it was ever valuable. Like, oh, well, the contact details that come in, it's actually good at us. Well, have you tried the other way? Like, do you know if the opportunities close at the same rate? Do you actually know if you build the same pipeline? You know, things like that. Oh, well, well, well no, we don't. But this is how it's always been done. Anything that goes that lane, I'm like, immediately kill it. Yeah. Um, and and so we made it where, hey, you can download whatever you want. Don't put in your contact details if you don't want. If you want to, feel free. So on that as an example, what's happened is my marketing team in the beginning were like, "That's this is crazy. And then later, they're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Because what was happening was they didn't have to run down people that didn't want to talk to them. And the and and the people that wanted to talk to them now were focused. And so they were really able to deliver value with them. And our research and our insights got out into a wider area in the community to go open up other discussions where people who didn't even originally download the report were calling us. Take that to the hiring thing. The recruiters at first violently against this. Rob, we're going to put a salary up there. And what's going to happen is other companies are going to look at what we're paying and come and just pay a little bit more and try to poach our employees. And I was like, cool. like, what? I'm like, that's cool. Like, if our employees join Dragos and as a result, they get better opportunities elsewhere and they want to leave, like, that's good for them. That's our commitment to them. As long as they came in and did things the right way, we should be happy they're alumni. Um, It was like, well, well, we won't get as many people applying because they'll kind of qualify them out on the salary without really understanding the equity and the benefits and all that comes with it. I'm like, well, yeah, but if somebody's uncomfortable with a salary, you can talk them into the job with all the other things, but they're going to come back on that salary eventually. And it's going to cause issues because they were uncomfortable with it at the start. And they almost got talked into the job. I was like, just put it up there and try it. Recruiters had the same thing. Oh my God. The people that want to talk to us are higher quality. They're they're there. They're more bought into the culture and what we're doing. They understand Drago's, not just the salary. It was kind of all those things. And, um, and we ended up getting more people apply who, who you never want to guess, you know, play the games on it. One of the big reasons we did it, honestly, was just the diversity aspect of people. Like it always causes issues. You have the same position, you're doing the same work, but your coworker is getting paid more than you. And then there could be some reason, maybe they were working on a special project or maybe um, they had some better skills that we were trying to keep hold of. Who knows? But it always opens the questions of, but I don't know what that is. Now it's not transparent to me. And that's one of our tenants. And then yet, what? why are they getting paid? Oh, it's, this sex or ethnicity or religion or whatever else, and and sometimes those things are, and and it was just like, dude, I'm not doing that. You know what? If you're if you're at Drago's and you're working in that position, you're you're a level five security operations analyst, regardless in the company, all level fives you get paid this amount. We're we're good to go, and uh, it is it has taken away a lot of the questions and abuses that are otherwise just not important as you try to run the company like they're important to address but you don't want to have to deal with that crap when you're trying to grow a company so just do the things that make people safer and more appreciated and valued from the start and let's get focused on the mission
0: yeah and that's global as well so we've helped you scale in like uh Dubai UK yeah so- we don't
1: and that's the other thing is we don't take advantage of of under uh, sort of yeah. served markets so like we benchmark on what we pay where everybody globally gets the same compensation. Now, yeah. it may not be the same salary because in Saudi Arabia as an example, there's uh, you need childcare benefits, you need schooling benefits, you need sometimes yeah. it's like in Germany you need a car. And so I'm not going to pay an analyst, you know, 120 in the US and then 120 in Saudi Arabia and then a bunch of extra things because now it's not actually equal. Yeah. But it's the same compensation overall. Yeah. Um, and what generally happens with companies, especially tech companies, they outsource stuff and try to go to like markets where they can get away with cheaper labor. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know, it just feels exploitative to me. And so we were like, dude, we're going to, here's where we benchmark, we benchmark it, the above average in the market on salary, usually 50th to 75th percentile and 95 percentile and above like best in class on equity. Here's what we're offering. We benchmarked it in the U.S. market, which is going to carry you everywhere in the world. So here's your total compensation. Let me know. Uh, and I think it's, it's, uh, made things simpler, but you still have to push back every now and then one mm-hmm. of my execs will come and go, Oh, but this person, they want 10% more or whatever it is, but, but they're a real rock star. And I'm like, that's how it starts guys. The answer is yeah. no. Like, yeah. and, and okay, well maybe we'll, main seven L five, we'll call it an L six. Well then go re-advertise it. What you, you had people interview for L five, you found your rock star. If you just make it an L six, you would have been evaluating different people. If that person wants to apply for an L six position, kill the L five position. Go have a yeah. level level six position. See the full recruitment pool. Give everyone a fair shot. Then, if you want that person, hire them at that level. You know yeah. that's so. There's a lot of I think sometimes the execs at first feel like we're slowing them down in the ways we do things. <laughs> but then over time, they see what it does for their team and the culture and everything else, and it's like, okay, I get it. All right, this is good because you're yeah. you're essentially deprogramming for some people like 15 20 30 years of the business world into completely different ways of doing certain things
0: yeah nice see so was at the senate a couple of weeks ago now mm-hmm. i listened to that hearing and it said that there were 700,000 unfilled ot positions how can we fill that gap like yeah. that's a lot of positions like what what in your take what, what yeah. can be done about that
1: yeah, so, so they're definitely talking on the cybersecurity um, positions overall, and mm-hmm. um, I think there's a couple things. Uh, number one for me is instead of well, how do I get more people in there, like first validate like are there actually 700,000? Like let's look at that, and and there are, but the first problem in my opinion is the HR systems. The the job descriptions, the jobs themselves are not fillable, so there are definitely unfilled jobs. Come on into the cybersecurity community, we're hiring. Things are good, but it's not 700000 um, There will be, or I should say maybe there are, but they're not fillable. There'll be positions like, hey, I want an entry-level brand new position and I need you to have a CSSP and a SAN certification and three years of experience. What? Yeah. How, how is that a brand new position? And those two certs together probably cost somebody $10,000 to get. So that doesn't make any sense. Um, or it'll be, hey, I need somebody that's got 10 years of experience in this technology that's seven years old. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Or, oh, I want a principal instant responder who's handled multiple, who's led multiple instant response engagements before. And I want them for $45,000. Sorry, dude, you're not getting it. So the number one, if you took and actually changed the job applications and the job descriptions and had reasonable requirements, you'd fill most, I'd I'd bet you'd fill half of them overnight. Like you'd find the talent. Because as I teach still, I get the hardest question I get is from new people on how do I get in the field? It's never like, how do I get my next job? Like, people can figure that out. Once you're in the field, you, you're good. Mm. Breaking into the field is hard for people. Um, so, that's that that's an indication of like the job description is similar. Outside of that, there's so much out there in terms of like free resources and everything else. Um, people are, are scrappy and hungry and they're doing it. There's free classes online, all that. Like, I always get these pitches on here's how we're going to solve the job gap. We're going to create a new training university that's available and then employers will pay and we'll do this. And it's like, guys, that we've got 30 of those. That's not the issue. Um, So doing those are good. I don't know that we need more. Probably what would be really cool um, is governments around the world, constantly needing more cybersecurity talent. They could take a program and say, look, we're going to bring in genuinely new people. All right. Not just uh, senior people and try to poach and do things like every company does. We're going to bring in genuinely, genuinely new people while we have some seniors, of course. And, you join. We're going to pay you well. We're going to train you up. We're, you're going to you're gonna get a maybe like a SANS class every year with a certification that's going to make you marketable as well as having um, uh, good uh, skills. And you have to work here for four years as a result. It's uh, so like a contract on what we're going to invest in you from the government. And then after that, flood them into the private sector as they leave. And I've talked to governments around the world and the question is always the same. Well, but we want to keep those people. How do we keep them? And it's like, okay, but you should be comfortable with training them and leaving. But if we do train them up, make them really market, they'll leave. It's like, guys, that I think this is part of your responsibility as governments. So change the actual system itself on the hiring process and especially around the job descriptions and what our expectations are, um, especially with paying reasonable salaries, not top end, but like reasonable. You gotta mm-hmm. be able to live comfortably. Um, and then uh, there, don't don't just reinvest in the programs that haven't worked for 15 years. Let let's look at like new ideas, especially like government stepping in. Um, to provide skills and training that they can then flood the private sector with people uh, uh have that skills
0: how does um dragos like uh, retain train and retain i guess your your staff like
1: yeah um i think mission has a lot to do with it but we but because we're transparent nobody really questions like what we're doing with salaries and so forth so we pay people really well uh, and, and we really do well in equity but then we have things like boxcar boxcar programs so you're always getting more equity Yep. Um, and then we have real transparent conversations with your supervisor about what's my career you know, progression. And those those salaries for your entire career ladder are, are public, like they're transparent. So yeah. if I'm an L2, if I'm a level two, I can see what the level nine is making and all the way between. So I can have a conversation with myself of, if I got promoted in these places at these times, would I be comfortable? And so they can kind of plan out their career to some level um, while knowing they're always getting more equity, while knowing they're working on really cool things, while not getting bogged down with the bureaucracy and crap so they can actually focus on the mission and actually do what they want to be able to do put all those things together we have an extremely high retention rate like really really high uh, and then it's more of a question of cool if it's not working for you how do we get you out of here in a in a reasonable way that also benefits the company benefits you and so it, there's always just a, like a lot of personnel management on that but i think the the transparency in the mission and kind of being um, allowing people to actually do the job they want to do yeah. that that matters a lot
0: particularly for for you Dragos, being a high growth business why would somebody think about a career in a product company like rather than going to one of the oems or yeah, asset owners yeah. something like that
1: um i think at the point we are now uh there's not the quite we, we haven't gotten the question for years on are you guys stable like your startup whatever because like we've raised so much cap and everything it's pretty obvious we're fine but also in these macroeconomic conditions as an example even Meta and Apple and, you know, Microsoft, everyone's doing layoffs. We didn't like, mm-hmm. we were taking care of our employees and we're, you know, refocusing where we put efforts and stuff to not punish our employees for market conditions. Uh, and so, you know, that, you know, hell, we're one of the most stable companies on the planet as a result, which definitely helps retract and recruit people. Um, but when they're working at like coming to a product company versus like an OEM or others or original equipment manufacturer and others, there's really important jobs and work to be done in all these companies. Don't get me wrong. Mm. But we have a really singular mission. A lot of companies, it's, hey, we we want to do all these different things. And this business unit focuses on this. And this business unit focused on this. And this product line is this. And here's what we're going to do with this. And so it's, it's not really like a unified thing. For us, it's we are here because of the Dragos platform technology. All of the other stuff that we do supports that. And here's how and why. And we are doing that because that whole Safeguarding Civilization mission, which translates into here's how we take care of people. Here's exactly what we do. Here's how it's meaningful to the community. So it's it's a pretty straightforward proposition, which I think is very attractive to a lot of people. And working a company that can take knowledge from people and codify it into software to make it scalable so that everyone from a giant chemical company to a small water uh, distribution company can actually create a security program. like that's You really feel like you're making a difference.
0: Mm, Absolutely, particularly for you. And this will be a direct question for you. How do you stop, or how are you stopping yourself from burning out? Because I see on LinkedIn you're at every conference under the sun. You're a panel every other day, doing a podcast, something like that. Yeah, how how are we coping?
1: Yeah, I I definitely tell people not to copy me because it's not like the path to success. I think I'm just kind of like ADD and like eccentric about certain things, and so I enjoy it. And don't get me wrong, it's taxing at times. Um, but like I also feel sometimes not guilt, but like how can you say no? Of like I've been ringing this bell on industrial security for years and like what we need to do. And it's like it's working and it's catching on and everything from Congress to Parliament to everyone's taking it seriously and it's impacting lives. I want I want my son to grow up in a safe world. And so how could I say no when somebody's like excited about the topic and wants me to come talk to them or whatever? Right. So there's part of that. Um, but I do set barriers and and I do pay attention to my mental health and just try to be smart about it. So as an example, uh last year and again this year I've said, "Hey, uh I need in if you expect me to come speak at your company, come speak at your conference, whatever, tell me in the first quarter." Uh and then my entire 2023 calendar filled up. Um to the point now that I'm actually I already went out on LinkedIn and said, "Hey, if you expect me to be there in 2024, tell me yeah. now." Uh and so I it's very rare that I accept kind of a, "Hey, Uh, in a month we're doing no. And I, I love you and I love what you're doing, but no, my requirements are, you tell me six to 12 months in advance so I can plan out, talk to my family, communicate clearly, understand, take a look back at the calendar and go, this is too much already. I can't take anymore. or this is good. Um, but yeah, it's definitely like, like, I don't want, I don't like when people think you need to work 15 to 18 hours a day Mm -hmm. to get ahead. I just do that because I enjoy it. And I enjoy what I'm doing. But jobs are jobs. Like You shouldn't have this expectation that you need to do extra for your job. I don't know where that started, um, but there's a balance. Like You should be able to do nine to five jobs, leave work, never think about it again and be fine. That being said, you it is a job to then go invest in yourself. You got to invest in yourself if you want to go faster or do more. I'm not saying to that company, but you got to do something. And so I was always constantly investing in myself. Um, So I I don't agree with the check out at five o'clock, watch Netflix all night or do whatever. And I should be able to be running a company. No, that's that's not okay either. Like you set reasonable expectations. You should be able to protect yourself nine to five. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you also want to go from a senior position to like be the leader in the field, not even like principal, but you really want to go out there and like break the the glass ceiling. Mm -hmm. Then yeah, you got to go invest in yourself and do something too. Like, so don't let companies be abusive but don't think that you can um, maintain and get ahead. Maintenance is good. There's nothing wrong with maintenance. But if you really have a drive to get ahead, then of course you're going to have to do something to change the status quo.
0: Nice, nice. Um, What's the disc conference? Talk to me about that.
1: Uh, Yeah. Um, So when we started the company, um, there was two kind of things that I noticed in the community. And it always bothered me. Number one, everything was very anecdotal. It was, we should do cybersecurity and OT because of, this, where's the data? Oh, I've been doing this for 15 years, you know, or I heard there was a cyber tech over here. Is there any evidence to improve? Well, I I know a guy who knows a guy. It was all that crap. And so I wanted to bring things to light. Let's just, I I mean, I like Intel, like ground truth reality, drag it in the light. If there's a problem, let's fix it. If there's not, we got other stuff to work on. Let's not hype this up. And at the same time, we had a lot of people that were keynoting conferences and out and speaking the community and all the, the circuits but then they came to work for Dragos and the conference is not going to put five people from the same company on their agenda. So I had main stage speakers that were getting sidelined because they've already had four or five people from Dragos speaking there. So we created DISC, the Dragos Industrial Security Conference. And it was all about, it's just going to be the Dragos speakers to give them an opportunity to speak. It's all going to be cutting edge research and insights and lessons from the field and new vulnerabilities and threats and instant response cases. No product pitches, no layering in Dragos that would try to sell to you. And... I am not going to invite everybody because normally uh, asset owners and operators when we deal in critical infrastructure, you'll find that 60, 70, sometimes 80% of the conference is vendors and consultants, and 20% of the people that are actually doing the real work. And they don't feel comfortable talking because now it's going to go out, whether it's journalists or vendors talking about it, whatever. And these are sensitive topics. So we said, cool. Disc is our speakers, our research, no product pitches. It's free. Only asset owners and operators can come or like super trusted yeah. partners of ours. Um, journalists can't attend. It's not recorded. It's not broadcast anywhere. Let's talk about what's really going on. And it has been extremely popular. And and we've gotten, I think last year, was like six or 700 people there. Um, and at most conferences, you might have five, six, 700. I know conferences that have like 1,000, 2,000, know, 1,200 people in the industrial community, but 70 or 80% are consultants and vendors. And, and at our conference, it's like 80, 90% asset owners and operators and so it's not that it's better it's just different so we Mm -hmm. just saw something that wasn't getting done and we created a place for it and instead of turning it into a sales or marketing event we just want to talk about our research it leads to sales don't get me wrong people trust us and so they want to come partner with us but it's just hey we'll we'll just share our knowledge and if you like what we share or you trust in us you're probably going to partner with us eventually
0: Nice, and it's on the same day every every year, is that right? Every year, yeah. <laughs> so November fifth
1: every year in Maryland, and uh, and then we have uh, one later in November in Australia now because there's enough uh, research there. Within the next year or two, there'll be enough of our teams doing research in Europe to put one there, um, and and uh, yeah, November fifth for the main one in, in Maryland, because a lot of times I was always you know oh it wins RSA, when's the Sands Conference, when's this, and the planning sucks. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you're an asset owner and operator, especially in certain communities like Electric, you got to plan out your budget like at the beginning of the year. Uh, and so to be able to say, hey, November 5th, every year, Stragos conference, come if you want, and it's free. Um, it it uh it's made it, I think, a lot more accessible for people. Nice.
0: On the research front, how many adversaries or how many things are you tracking nowadays?
1: Yeah. When when we started when I started, people didn't want to believe that there were industrial specific threat groups. Um, when we started Dragos, and I went and testified the first time in, the ten- and in front of the Senate a couple years after we started it was 2018, and there were five. Uh, and then this last time I testified the Senate, um, updated, and then there's about 22 now. Uh, and so the threat landscape is growing. But what I will highlight for people is it's not just, oh, my gosh, look at look at how much it's growing. That's true. But some of it's just we're getting better visibility. Like if you have a power company's networks or a manufacturing company's networks or a data center that's not getting monitored, nobody's looking inside the house, the lights are off, you shouldn't be surprised you don't see burglars. Um. So as we deploy our technology, as people around the community are building invisibility into these industrial networks to be able to detect threats and things like that, we're turning on the lights and we're seeing more. So there are both new groups forming and more adversaries coming, as well as we're starting to find folks that have been there for a while. Uh, and the trend is not ideal. And the trend is where these adversaries understand what OT is, how to target it, how to target it uniquely, uh, and and how to start scaling their efforts. And when you're talking about critical part of uh, the critical part of critical infrastructure, lights, water, power, manufactured goods, pharmaceuticals, everything for all that we live on, you know, yeah, it's going to be lower frequency than the attacks that happen in IT, but it's way higher impact, and we got to do something, especially for our communities. Yeah.
0: Rob, wrapping this up, my man, how do you sleep at night knowing that there's that man?
1: (laughs) Uh, I'll give you you the insight to how arrogant I am and and how I sleep. I, I don't generally think I'm very arrogant. This one, I know I'm pretty arrogant on. Everyone always talks about how the adversaries are winning and, oh, the adversary just has to get one thing right. And defenders had to protect everything. I, I've been on the offense against other countries, too. That's crap. Uh, offense has to get everything right or you get caught on anything and you can blow the entire operation and every other operation you're doing other companies. So that's all crap. But how I really sleep. Yeah. I think about the Russian intelligence services. I think about the Russian military. I think about the Chinese military, the Chinese intelligence service, Iranian, you know, everything. I think about ours. Because our mission is not to pick sides. Our mission is if it's civilian infrastructure, it's off limits. So I think about all these countries and all these state actors. And I figure there's billions of dollars a year that go into all these different insider programs. Uh, and a lot of it gets focused on industrial infrastructure. So you're talking billions a year across the course of our seven year existence. We've raised about 450 million in capital across that seven year period coming up on eight years now. Uh, so, 450 across seven and with 500 people versus billions every year with tens of thousands of people and we're winning you know like everywhere we go like there's plenty of adversaries that we kick out there's plenty of stuff that doesn't make the news because we detect them and say get out of my house I, I'd be embarrassed if I was the adversaries so no I'm sleeping pretty good
0: love that mate Rob thanks for coming on mate really appreciate your time and that's going to go down a treat that episode
1: yeah thanks so much for having me on I <laughs>